New Orleans, Louisiana. Mardi Gras. A time of beads, boobs, and booze. A fun time where the worst you expect to happen is to get blackout drunk and wake up naked in a field somewhere. Ben thinks differently. He's not digging the Mardi Gras vibe, and he wants something different, something scary. He signs up for a haunted swamp tour with his best bud Marcus, but the tour goes off the rails when something begins hunting his tour group in the deep, dark Louisiana bayou. Now, Ben, Marcus, local girl Mary, Mary Beth, and a host of others must escape the swamps that belong to the vengeful spirit of Victor Crowley in the 2006 slasher cult classic, Hatchet. I'm Connor Gary, And I am Josh Allred. And you are listening to Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to episode 109 of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm joined today by special guest host Josh Allred, who is here to help me dissect this slasher flick. Thanks for joining me today, Josh. Yeah, man. I'm glad I could be here for this. I I can't tell you how excited I am about this, other than the time I was here to talk about Toxic Avenger, which if you could have seen me, I'm glad I'm sitting down. You know, I yeah, huge, huge boner for this movie. I love it killer and uh, for those of you who are wondering why austin is not joining us today it's mostly for technical reasons uh we've been joining we've been doing the show via zoom for quite some time now and we've come to realize that juggling more than two people on a zoom call is a real pain in the ass there's frequent internet dropouts it's hard to judge when someone else is going to say something and the show suffers because of it so from now on it only it is only ever going to be two people hosting all of our shows and we'll keep having special guest hosts from time to time to keep things fresh keep you guys on your toes so, yeah, format's going to change a little bit from here on out, but still going to be awesome. Uh, before we get started, I do have one item of interest on the Rewind, where we dig into past episodes to try and find more pay dirt. And this one updates episode 32 on the Stephen King cult classic, Maximum Overdrive. Stephen King's son, best-selling author Joe Hill, has expressed interest in writing and directing a remake of Maximum Overdrive in the near future. He said in his version, it wouldn't be a comet that brings electronics to life. It would be a virus that infects self-driving car technology and sets them off. What do you think about that? Joe Hill doing Maximum Overdrive. Oh, no, I love it. I actually listened to that episode that he was talking about it, uh, Mick Garris's postmortem. Um, I'm a huge Mick Garris fan to begin with. And when they went on hiatus, I was a little bummed. And the fact that he came right out the box with Joe Hill was fantastic. Um, I wasn't too familiar with a lot of Joe Hill stuff. Um, I've seen Horns. I've started to watch Lock and Key. I didn't finish. Um, I didn't finish it. But um, you know, Caleb put me onto the the graphic novel, and I was really impressed with it. Uh, I'm really impressed with his output. It's crazy that he's. 48 years old it makes me feel like i'm fucking pushing up there um but it was the the way the question was phrased is mick asked him would you ever consider directing and if so what would it be and he was like just right off the cuff that's what he said it's like you know i would really like to do a remake of maximum overdrive when i heard that i was like holy shit like he he really just wants to like go total full circle and go after one of his dad's stories. And I think it's really clever, his idea. 
it, it makes it a lot more plausible as to why the vehicles would be attacking people. And it's very much uh, a very like poignant take on it for sure. I, I mean, I would be down for it. I mean, with, with his writing and his stories, I think he could do really well with it. For sure. I've, um, I've read his short story collection, Full Throttle, and I thought that, that was really good. He had some really cool stories in there. He's definitely got his, his dad's uh, talent for storytelling, and uh, I'd love to see him give that a shot. I think it would be really cool to adapt that story, which is already just mind-blowingly wacky uh, to a modern audience. And uh, who knows? Hell, maybe ACDC could do a new song for it. <laughs> I mean, why not? They're, they're already, you know, they're, they're still putting out records, which is it, that that blows me away yeah god knows we need something good this year <laughs> yeah right Ugh. i actually saw acdc live with my dad one time it was one of the best concerts i've ever seen it was crazy seeing oh yeah man they were my first concert too <laughs> yeah well it, it wasn't it wasn't the first concert i saw yeah. but it was like the first like big like really huge famous band and i mean they hit all the high notes um, I think my favorite part was when they did a whole lot of Rosie and <laughs> it was during black ice when they did it. So they had this whole thing with the train coming through and yeah. they had this giant inflatable fat chick riding on the train. It's awesome. Awesome. I saw that same tour. Yeah. I was in the uh, Verizon center in Washington, DC. I was 13 years old. It was my first concert. I was blown away. Big ass train comes out of the stage. Rock and roll train starts playing. Big inflatable horror. I couldn't fucking believe it. The cannons yeah. at the end for those about to rock. I was like, this is the best damn show I've ever seen. It set the, set the, uh, the, uh, the bar for me, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the only other times I've had that much fun at a show is when I've seen Guar. It's hands down. Like I've seen them like five, six times. And it's still one of the best times. My coolest show, I think, to date, ACDC is up there, but seeing Paul McCartney live, was a was a weird experience because I had this moment like he he opened with a hard day's night and I had a realization of like I'm at a fucking Beatles concert right now <laughs> it's just I couldn't believe it it was like a three-hour show of just wing stuff and solo stuff and Beatles stuff and it was just a, a beautiful amazing show oh I miss live music so much <laughs> right mm. so uh t- tell me about your first time with Hatchet what did you think of it initially? Oh, no, I loved it right off the bat. I, uh, I think the first time I saw it was I rented it from Blockbuster, I think, because <laughs> um, I had missed it in the theater and I was kicking myself that I had missed it. And I was like, fuck, how could I, how could I miss something like this? Because it had this it had this reputation where like you know, it's, it, it had a lot of its, uh, its power came from word of mouth, uh, being that it was an independent movie, didn't have a lot of backing. The, one of the things that really broke it out was, uh, Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool. He watched it, gave it a really good review. And from there, it just kind of took off. So, I yeah definitely caught it at Blockbuster and I watched Hatchet Two when it came out, which that has a very interesting story behind it. Uh, it was released unrated, and it only lasted forty eight hours. 
before the MPAA caught wind of it, saw it, and was like, you can't put that in the theater. What the fuck? And yanked it. Just gone. Wow. So, yeah, it was It's pretty special to see something like that. And, I mean, I own all of the Hatchet movies. I bought them straight from Adam Green. Um, so, yeah, shout out Ariescope. Go buy their stuff. Uh, I also have a uh, shooting script for Hatchet. So it's like the version that they shot, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to say that I, that I love these movies and I really enjoy Adam Green as a filmmaker is an understatement, obviously. I think this was the first movie you reviewed for the website. It sure was. I kept, I kept trying to think about like what would be a good way to serve as like an introduction for me, my personality, and try to, at the same time, like set myself apart from you and Austin and Caleb. And definitely I was like, you know what? I saw that nobody had put a review up for it. I made Caleb watch it and he was like, oh, wow. And yeah, and I was like, fuck it. That's gonna be the first one I write. And I also had that whole uh, trauma article that I wrote. was kind of in the back and I was like you know I wanted to show like both sides to where I could like just do a review and talk about something but also get like really deep and kind of flex my you know use my damn degree for something instead of just fucking eye candy on the wall uh but yeah I I was kind of nervous which is kind of funny you know you you, you've you've talked to me a few times now and you're you hear me say that you're like what you what but yeah no i was legitimately nervous because i hadn't written anything about movies in a while and you know i was just kind of like hey caleb uh you think uh you think connor would like this he's like i don't know man i'll uh i'll send it to him i mean i like it you know i i i, I hope he'll put you on there and you, and you can start writing for the site that'd be great and i'm just like and I'm just sitting there like, oh, I don't know if it's going to like it or not. Yeah, where I am. So I must have done something right. That's that's great. <laughs> it's funny because you're not the only one who's like had that kind of reaction to being a part of this thing. It's weird to me. It's just like I love movies and I want more people who love movies to be a part of this. But other people are like, I don't know. And I think it's weird to me. I don't know. Maybe it's because I've never had to like audition for this. I just don't get it. <laughs> Well, so for me, it was like, you know, you guys have been doing it for a few years at that point. And I hadn't even read like, you know, any of the books that you wrote. I've only started one of them. Um, But so this is this is where I come from a place of like mutual respect, because like I can I, I really admire the fact that you have enough patience to write a novel, let alone three. I can fucking barely hold an idea together for 30 pages before I'm just like, fuck, I got to figure out how to end this. I just, I can't keep going. I just don't have the attention span for it. Um, So I can appreciate that. And I, I definitely have enough respect for you because you've, you know, you, you published your own shit and that's a pretty, uh, it's a very ballsy, but also a very confident move in a way because you're like, fuck it. If nobody else is going to buy this thing and put it out, I'll fucking put it out. So whether whether you think about it or not, you definitely have done something that most people 
either A, have only dreamt about, B, dreamt about it, didn't have the balls to do it, and three, were just too scared. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like flirted with all three of those at one point or another. And I just finally was like, I have to keep doing this because the way I am with writing, I don't know how you are. I, I'm like, it's like a compulsion. Like I have to do it because I've always got something going on in my head. I've always got ideas. And when it comes to movies, I'll fucking talk your head off. You know, if you met me at a party or something, probably won't say more than five words to you. But when, if you get me on a subject that I like, I'm going to gab like a little schoolgirl. So yeah, definitely. Um, was definitely impressed with what you and Caleb had done. Like I told you before, I was jealous. I was like, these fuckers doing the exact same thing that I've wanted to do. So I, I was, I was just glad you wanted to, uh, to put my shit up there and I'm thankful, you know, for everyone that you do put up there. So it's great. I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's an honor to have you on the team. It really is. You bring a really cool perspective to horror that Austin and I just don't have. Because we're fairly, like, especially Austin, he's fairly new to this whole genre. And I'm still, you know, I'm, there's still a lot of classics I haven't tackled yet and a lot of, like, indie stuff I've never even fucking heard of. So you seem to be, like, in the zone with all this shit. So it's cool that you, ha- like, have something to say about all of it. And, uh Yeah definitely happy to have you aboard man it's good stuff i love it yeah i mean i grew up i grew up with this shit so it was it's one of these things where i i I was just always involved with it like i was always watching them i read fangoria when i was a kid you know i used to when my mom would go to the grocery store she knew where to find me i would always be with the comic books always trying to find you know books or whatever that was just my thing and I was definitely like the weird kid growing up. So I didn't have a lot of friends. So that's what I would do. I would would just watch movies. And it got to a point where, you know, horror movies, especially, it was just this whole like taboo thing about it. It's like, you know, they're always on at night. You got to kind of like sneak around and have fun with them. And the older I got, I started to make friends who liked them too. And it was like, okay, now I'm part of a group that this is our thing. I mean, college, yeah, I partied and did all that stuff, but it was mostly about hanging with my buddies and watching wild ass movies. <laughs> Killer. That's exactly what we do. That's what the filmgasm team does. We just, we watch the weird shit. We talk about it. And on, you know, on the Oscar Sunday side of it, we watch the classics and talk about it. I just, you know, I want to celebrate all facets of movie culture on this podcast. And I think we're doing all right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's enough room for everybody to kind of have a little piece of this. Um, my friend Ty, he, he put me onto a couple of podcasts that kind of like, it tickles like the, the scholarly film nerd in me to kind of listen to somebody talk a lot about horror movies, but in a more like, academic manner and give like historical context and things like that and I can jive with that too um at the same time I I'm a sucker for you know the Joe Bob three B's bloods boobs and beasts like just more of that please oh yeah man like for example hatchet I had 
only heard of this movie before we decided to do it. And we're doing this because this was Caleb's personal pick. So this is for him. Hopefully when he eventually gets to listen to this. Um, yeah. So I only heard of it after you did your review and I was like, it sounds interesting, but I don't know if I'll ever watch it. And then Caleb picked it and I'm like, well, fuck now I have to watch it. And I was expecting this to be just a, a disaster. And as soon as Manson's, this is the new shit picked up. I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> Yeah, love that. I, I really like this. Um, <laughs> so Hatchet was written and directed by Adam Green. Uh, he would also direct the next three films in the Hatchet franchise, as well as 2010's Frozen, not to be confused with the Disney musical of the same name. This is about people who are literally freezing to death. And I remember reading somewhere, some movie theater somewhere got their reels mixed up and put that movie on in place of Disney's Frozen at some, at some Midwest movie theater. And I would love to have been a fly on the wall when that happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. That would have been fucking wonderful. Yeah, there's, there, there, there's definitely a scene in there that you could make jokes about, you know, letting go. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam Green also wrote a segment of the 2017 Friday the 13th video game, the Tommy Jarvis Files, I think it was called. I haven't gotten to play that yet. I like I like um I have it. It's um it's a shame that the whole lawsuit is kind of uh well, it pretty much killed the game as far as like new content goes. Um I don't know that even if they settled everything that the developer would even be able to make new stuff without having to restructure agreements and payments and all this other shit. So bravo Sean Cunningham you fucker but yeah i mean the game's fun i mean you get to you know you get to play as all the different jasons um kane hotter actually did the mocap for all of the jasons um he even because he is um very uh, aware of his place in the whole thing he watched the other movies to see how the other guys played jason and he mimicked their moves that's an impressive commitment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty. Uh, it's, it's pretty deep. Um, and you know, Shelley's in there. You know, good old Larry Zerner, who is continuing to give us updates on the whole trial process. So, which is actually, which is actually like so perfect that the guy who was in one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies is a copyright lawyer, which is in the wheelhouse of the whole thing that's going on with this lawsuit. Like you can't, you, you couldn't write it. I can't wait till we finally do Friday the 13th. So I can finally look into all that shit and just unpack this insane lawsuit. It's a fucking shit storm. Let me tell you. So I've heard it's crazy. Uh, the film stars Kane Hodder as Victor Crowley. As we just said, Hodder is a horror icon known primarily for playing Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 7, Part 8, Jason Goes to Hell, and Jason X. He would also play Victor Crowley in all three Hatchet sequels. And I'm curious uh, what you think about this. What do you think it is about Kane Hodder's Jason specifically that makes him so beloved by horror fans? I think it's... I think continuity has a lot to do with it. Um, he, he was able to kind of like make Jason his own for lack of a better phrase. And he really tried to 
I think he tried to understand him. He tried to like make him, you know, uh, an actual character instead of just like a, you know, a, a thing because there was a revolving door through the first six movies. It was just, well, not the first six, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, through the subsequent movies, you know, it was always a different guy. Um, I think the only other one that I liked as far as like a physical presence and what they did was Derek Mears in the remake, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the remake um, for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into that right now because we're not talking about that. But for me, Kane Hodder will always be Jason. And I mean, if you, if you just hear the guy talk about him, talk about playing Jason and what it means to him and like all of that stuff. The fact that he played Jason and then he got to be Victor Crowley. Like there's not too many actors, stuntmen that can have that claim to fame and be such a stalwart in the, in the industry. True. Very true. It's a shame that Kane Hodder had to get like the shittiest Friday the 13th movies though. Okay. I will say this. Yeah. They're not boring. I'll put it like that. Fair enough. The worst the worst of the bunch for me is probably Jason Takes Manhattan because it's like the biggest letdown in terms of, you know, you're you're selling me Jason massacring people in New York City and he's in there for all of five minutes. You fuckers. <laughs> Dude, for me, it it never got worse than Jason Goes to Hell. I I, I hate that. that's the only one I've ever given on the website. It's I hated that movie so much. So I I wasn't I don't know. It, it probably came along at a time where I was like so excited about it that I got really really happy when it came out. I like I fucking watched it on pay per view. That's how old I am. Um, so I got to I have the box set. I showed you guys when it came in. I got the box set and I watched it and then I watched um, the director talk about it. He's a huge fan. He grew up with Sean Cunningham's son. So wow. like that was his connection in there. And that was, I can't remember the movie. Oh, he directed uh, my boyfriend's back. And so Sean Cunningham, I guess produced that or something like that. And, you know, Adam Marcus told him like, you owe me one, dude. I want to make a Friday the 13th movie. So there's, as usual, there's a whole reason why things happen the way they happen. And it kind of like, he had to work with the limitations he was given. Because when New Line bought the rights to use the character, as Hollywood likes to do, they like to piecemeal everything. They didn't have the rights to use the mask. So they had to work around that. Ergo, that's how the movie gets written the way it is. You only see Jason in there for all of like five minutes or whatever it was. Um, and then at the same time, he was also a big Evil Dead fan. So he figured logically, how are you gonna how are you gonna have Jason? Like what what explains him? He's a fucking deadite. Let's just go there. Um yeah, the, the whole interview is crazy. Like, you got to watch it. Um, he borrowed the real Necronomicon from Sam Raimi and put it in the movie. So, like, the one you see in Jason Goes to Hell, that's the Necronomicon. It's not just, like, 
oh, they made a good fake. It's the actual one. So just crazy, crazy stuff, like the way he talks about that. And I got a little bit more of an appreciation for it. Kind of like he, he, he had his hands cuffed and he made the best one he could. Um, so, and if you really look at it, it goes against some of the stereotypes in slashers and like i don't want to steal his thunder so like you just just read just watch the interview if you if you get that set listen to him talk about it and when you hear him talk about it you're like it's not the big steamy turd i thought it was (laughs) so i like but i like that i like hearing the stories behind it and it kind of i won't say it changes your mind but it gives you a new perspective and you and while you know as a fan you're like it's not really Friday the Thirteenth. Jason wasn't in it. His body swapping kind of bullshit is that? But you find out why he did it, and then the things that he was doing to push people's buttons. Pretty fascinating. See, on paper, a movie where Jason is brought back by the Necronomicon sounds like the most incredible fucking horror movie ever made. But <laughs> what we got was pretty shitty. But to be fair. I don't like most of the Friday the 13th movies anyway. So it, it might be a me problem more than it is a movie problem. Fair enough. I admit that. I mean, sure. I mean, I, there there are a few of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies that don't really land for me. I'm not yeah. the biggest dream. I'm not the biggest dream child fan. Fuck that movie. Like, it's not a big fan of it. Freddy's Dead really leaned too hard on the comedy for me. Yeah. It would have been a lot scarier. Um but I'm also, at the same time, I'm a huge Nightmare 2 fan. Love that fucking movie. It is like, as as gay as it is, and as intentional as that stuff was, like, what it, what it did, and the fact that it made more money than the original Nightmare on Elm Street, like, it tells you something. It tells you that it's not that bad. It's not that bad. But if I had to rank them, it wouldn't be up towards the top of my list, nor would it be at the bottom. It'd probably be right there in the middle. Fair enough. We've made it over a hundred episodes in on this podcast without touching Freddie or Jason yet. So we'll get there. When we do get there, it's going to, we're going to have a lot to unpack. (laughs) Oh, of course. Uh, We have Joel David Moore as Ben lanky, geeky, recently single walking bummer. Some of Moore's other roles include Dodgeball, Avatar, The Guest, which we've talked about in the past on this in the past on this podcast, Grandma's Boy, and another of Adam Green's thrillers, Spiral. And Joel David Moore is a decent character actor. I tend to like him in pretty much everything I see him in. He stands out. He's got that you know a very unique body shape. He looks like fucking Slenderman. So I definitely you know noticed him immediately. And he's good. He's pretty good in this. Oh yeah, no, he was he was uh, he was enjoyable. I definitely wanted him to die like right away. As he's just like this huge boner killer. He's like he's the last person you want to take with you to fucking New Orleans. It's this fucking whiny ass dude who won't shut up about his ex girlfriend. I was I was like the biggest fan of Marcus. Which is like, come on, dude. We are literally in Titty City, and you can't even enjoy them. What is your problem? What is your problem? I've been in New Orleans. Like, you can't not have fun in that town. I'm telling you. Right on, man. Speaking of Marcus, we have Dion Richmond as Marcus, Ben's best friend. 
Richmond uh, played Kenny on the Cosby Show. Has also appeared in such films as Scream 3, Van Wilder, and Not Another Teen Movie. And he is fucking hysterical in this movie. <laughs> he's, you know, like you said, he's the buddy who just wants to have fun, who has to kind of gets guilted into going on this boat trip with his bummer friend. <laughs> so I I will say that he he was a good friend. He could have let him just go and he could have just gone and, you know, gotten drunk and passed out in the fucking street somewhere with his friends. But he stuck by his buddy, stuck by his buddy. He paid for it <laughs> by his friend. Goddamn right. He paid for it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Amara Zaragoza plays Mary Beth under the stage name of Tamara Feldman. She would only play the character once and we would be replaced by Danielle Harris in all the sequels. Some of Zaragoza's other roles include recurring roles on the TV shows Dirty, Sexy Money, and Gossip Girl, but not a lot else beyond TV guest appearances. Probably should have taken the sequel. And uh, do you know why she didn't sign up for Hatchet 2? No, I just know that she didn't. I I, I think it was like either she didn't want to do it or, you know, she was kind of just like, I don't know, I didn't know they would be making another movie. So, like, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, Daniel Harris took it over after that. And there's, um, I mean, I don't think it suffers for it um, other than how the movie ends and how Hatchet 2 starts. Unless you're like really just like along for the ride, it is very jarring um, because the way the first three movies are structured, they literally happen on consecutive days. So when Hatchet 1 ends, Hatchet 2 starts up right as Hatchet 1 ends. And then Hatchet 3 starts after Hatchet 2 ends. So, yeah, no. And that's something that only like, you know, um, Friday the 13th, Halloween tried it. So, like, it it either really works or it doesn't. I did listen today to you and uh, your uh, your guys' uh, Halloween 2 episode. So, like, I heard you guys, how you're talking about that whole, uh, you know, continuing with the night it, it happened and all that stuff. So, you know. We had fun on that one. That was a, it was fun just talking about Michael and what he'd be doing between kills. I always, I always thought about that. Like, <laughs> just, he's got to well, be just doing stuff, you know, on his way to murder. Funny, funny you should say that. So the um, the scene where Loomis is walking out the day after Michael escapes and, you know, the, the guy that's talking to Loomis is like, you know, how do you know how to drive? Like, well, somebody must have been giving him lessons or whatever. Adam Green has been doing uh, short movies uh, every Halloween since he started Dairy Scope. So he's got like 22 shorts that he's done for the last, you know, 22 years. And one of them is literally about a deleted scene where Michael Myers is getting driving lessons. Oh my God. And for further fucking inception in all of this, Joel David Moore plays the driving instructor and Kane Hodder plays Michael Myers. Holy (laughs) shit. I got to see that. As soon as we're done here, I'm looking that up. Oh my God. It's it's fucking hilarious. It's fucking hilarious. It's really good. Yeah. Great timing, great like connector between last week and this week. Fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, Mercedes McNabb plays Misty, 
aspiring porn star and complete dingbat. Uh, McNabb is best known for her recurring role as teenage vampire Harmony on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spinoff series Angel. She also appeared in the 1991 Adams Family and its 1993 sequel Adams Family Values, and she's kind of made a career out of playing just a complete absolute moron. And who can blame her? I think she's hilarious in this movie. Oh, she's totally hilarious, and it's actually funny that you brought up Adams Family Values because I just now recognize her from that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> to be fair, she was, you know, a preteen and didn't have boobs or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, I recognize her face now and I'm just like, oh, okay, get it. Yeah, no, she's fucking hilarious. She like, she is like the perfect caricature of the dumb blonde, like just two AT flawless. I loved it. I fucking hated her on Buffy so much. I kept waiting for her to die and it never happened. And then Angel came on and she was in that. And I'm like, oh, maybe they'll kill her here. And they still fucking didn't. And at least I got to see her die in this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Finally, delayed gratification. Hell yeah. Uh, Jolie Fiore plays Jenna, the other aspiring porn star. She appears in Hatchet 2, but hasn't done much else beyond TV guest appearances. And I thought she was hilarious too. I thought everyone did a really good job in this. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this is one of these things where that blend of comedy and horror, like it's it's played perfectly for me. Um, how she's always joking or like crying about, uh, you know, bitching about how she went to NYU and all this shit. But then you find out she actually did go to NYU. She went to Hawaii, which is big joke because green went to Hofstra. That's where he ah. went to college, went to film school in Hofstra. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I do love that scene where they're like, anybody else got any more secrets? And she just starts sobbing. I didn't go to NYU. Yeah. <laughs> like it fucking matters nobody, in here. Nobody fucking cared in the first place. <laughs> My God. Uh, Joel Murray plays aspiring porn director Doug Shapiro. Murray had a recurring role in AMC's Mad Men, also appeared in such films as The Artist, Monsters University, Jobs, and the movie I recognized him from, God Bless America. Oh, fucking love that movie. That God, is, I love that movie. It's one of the weirdest fucking movies I've ever seen, but one of the most satisfying in a weird way. Oh, oh, totally. Like, Bobcat Goldthwait is a, uh, an amazing director. Like, Hearing him, like how he approached things and like the whole genesis for that movie is totally fascinating. Um, if you can dig it up, he was on the movie Crypt, which is Adam Green's podcast, and he was talking about that. And um, he also did uh, Willow Creek, which is crazy because have you seen it? Willow Creek's one of my favorite found footage movies. That movie freaked me out. So think about that. Think about the personality behind it. And then like what you know him as, but then you're like, holy crap, he just did like a, a great Bigfoot movie. What the fuck? Yeah, he's he's amazing. I, I fucking love that man. He's so smart, so fucking funny, but like will not compromise on what he wants to do. He would fucking, you know, shoot a movie in his garage if he had to just to make the movie that he wanted. to. I, I give him all the credit for that. Hell yeah, Bobcat's the man. Did you see his comedy special from a few years ago? Uh, not one. No, no, nothing recent. 
it was called like, I think it was called you don't look the same either <laughs> um oh yeah I've, I've like I've seen it but I haven't like actually watched it I've just seen like the the little poster or whatever on like Amazon or some shit for it I, I tracked it down on YouTube uh, a couple years ago and it has one of my one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard in stand-up he was at the he was at the airport and some lady walked up to him and said I don't mean to insult you but you look like Bobcat Goldthwait <laughs> oh my god that's really fucking good that's really fucking good oh my god god yeah yeah he's the best oh can't wait god bless america is one i definitely want to bring to this podcast because that is the that is that separates the men from the boys that movie especially the baby oh yeah yeah well i mean if you can't see and and this is just this is like that's another movie like I would probably put on a list of things like if you want to know my personality like watch this movie and for me like I'm 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 pulling in the line from South Park like either it's all funny or none of it's funny like yeah you can make a joke about anything in the in the right context and that movie is so fucking satisfying because I was right there with fucking Joel Murray the entire time like everything he did I was like Yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. Yeah, I'd probably go crazy and drive cross country just to go shoot some fucking stupid reality star. Yeah, let's go for it. Go for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. To be continued, we will definitely throw that on the on the schedule at some point. Um, Perry Shen plays Sean, the fake tour guide. Maybe my favorite character in the movie. Just the constant like new revelations over like who he is. It's just it's constantly fucking evolving. <laughs> oh yeah yeah man adam green gets his mileage out of perry shin in all these movies like crazy and like the the range that he has to play the the roles that he does only a testament to how good of an actor he is so because like by the time you get to victor crowley which is hatchet four he's somehow pulled himself like completely a- away from the two dudes that you thought you knew at the beginning while still playing an Asian guy and like just hitting all the Asian man jokes and how we all look alike, blah, blah, blah. But like, he actually puts in a lot of like a real like emotional performance at one point in Victor Crowley. And you're just like, damn, this guy's good. Um, I bought the book that they had used in uh, Victor Crowley. Uh, It's called I Survivor. And Adam Green wrote that with another writer named uh, Joe Netter. And it it's crazy. Like, you just, that, that's how immersed I am in all this, how invested I am in this. I bought this book and I had to read it. It's really good. That's awesome. And funny considering that, like, I was looking into his IMDb page and the biggest thing this guy's done is two, over 260 episodes of General Hospital. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the film also features cameos from Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, Tony Todd, who played Candyman, and Joshua Leonard, who played Josh in The Blair Witch Project. So I love that Adam Green just brings in these people for brief appearances. Like, he clearly loves everything about horror, and he really just built this movie. as it's a, It feels like a love letter to the slasher genre. Yeah, that was, that was part of my review. That's exactly what it is. Um, oddly enough he came up with the original idea for it when he was at summer. So 
tying all this around to slashers and how they're always at summer camp. He had this idea at summer camp and it just stuck with him for years. And, you know, he always wanted to make it and was, he was going to make it one way or another. Um, and I'm very, very glad he did. I love that determination. Uh, Hatchet has an IMDb score of 5.7, a Rotten Tomato score of 55%. It was an unfortunate box office bomb, only grossing 200000 on a budget of $1.5 million. Despite this, it has been reclaimed by the horror community as a cult classic and spawned three sequels, all of which are available on Amazon Prime if you guys want to binge, which I am certainly going to. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk about this movie. Uh so we open with Robert England and Josh from Blair Witch redneck fishing in the bayou. I mean, right from the get-go, that just made me think, like, this is, this is something special. <laughs> He's, the guy who made this, like, you don't cast Robert England by accident. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, like, it lends credibility because within the first few minutes, you see Robert England. And not only that, like it's it's showing Robert England giving him a chance to like have some fun. You know, everybody knows him as Freddy Krueger, and here he is, this fucking cantankerous gator poacher who, you know, is calling his son a sissy, and you know, just how he's <laughs> how how his son is, you know, not as tough as his sister. Holy shit! Which okay. So there was something that even I didn't know about um, the character of Mary Beth. And I didn't find this out until later on. And I was kind of like, huh, but it, and I'm only bringing this up because it kind of like it, you kind of understand the joke a little bit about what he's calling his, you know, his son is a sissy um, is because Mary Beth is a lesbian. And that, like that joke really rings me, not because, you know, she's a lesbian because like she's just actually like this tough badass chick who is not afraid to go toe-to-toe with victor crowley and i love the way that adam green handled it it was never like hammered over your head or anything i only heard about it in passing and i think it was actually now that i'm thinking about it it was um daniel harris has a youtube show called common terror and the first episode got adam green on there and they were, uh, I think they were watching Hatchet or something like that. And they were talking. And she brought it up, you know, and he was just like, yeah, she's a lesbian. I just, you know, it wasn't something he wanted to, like, make obvious or ham-fisted. And, you know, I just, I think it's, I think it's one of these things where, you know, people can relate to a character and not understand why. And only when, you know, a creator comes out and says, hey, by the way, you know, they're this, they're that really kind of shows where Adam Green is coming from. The fact that he can, you know, put you know, whoever as his characters and they ring true. And yeah, like that, that whole opening is also kind of like a mini film school, because if you pay attention, the shots where the alligators are, are like essentially like stock footage, like, they're not anywhere like you like if you really pay attention you can see like 
the differences where the light source is and all this stuff and like how they're getting played in um, just really shows you like how they went about making this movie. Like by hook or by crook, they were going to do this and they were going to use every trick at their disposal to, to suck you into this world. And that beginning just totally lays, throws the hammer down and just says, you know, get ready because it only gets crazier from here. Oh yeah. It's, it's a great opening and it's hilarious. And I actually, I had no idea going in that this was a comedy and uh, it was funny. It was, it was nice like realizing that as we went along, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is supposed to be funny. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I had been so overexposed to a lot of slashers that are either inadvertently funny because, you know, some of the jokes are dated or, you know, some of the acting is really bad and you're just laughing at that. It's kind of taking you out of the experience. But this, like, Adam Green knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going to sit this movie. It wasn't going to be just straight up serious because you can't. Like, everything about this movie is over the top. Um, that shot where um, his guts are getting thrown against the tree, that became a running gag, not only throughout this movie, but all the other movies after that, to where, like, I think by Victor Crowley, there's just a shot of a tree as Victor Crowley's killing somebody and you're just waiting there because you know it's coming. You know it's coming by this point. And then they just like hangs for just a few seconds and then just gets annihilated with blood and guts. And you're just like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Adam Green knows his audience for this shit. For sure. I mean, Victor Crowley himself, for me anyway, is sort of like a, a backwoods hybrid between Jason and Leatherface. I mean, he's all, he's every stereotype in the book, but it works because of what Adam Green's trying to accomplish here. He's not trying to make the next great slasher film that's wholly original. He's having fun. And we get to have fun by watching him have fun. It's great. Oh, yeah. Um, so when he was, like, trying to shop this around and get it made, um, he was getting turned down. And in my review... I threw the lines, you know, if it wasn't a remake or from Japan, it wasn't going to get made. That was actually shit that was said to him. People that he was submitting the script to, they were like, yeah, we're not doing this. If it's not a remake, if it's not something from Japan, nobody's going to see this. Wow. And you're just like, you hear that now and you're like, how the fuck? Like that proves to you that people that sit in these ivory towers don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, it's a slasher movie. You don't have to like think about that. Give them the money. You know what they're gonna. You know what you're gonna get. Go for it. Have fun. I God, if he had just been like you know, if he, ten years after this, he could have sold this thing to Blumhouse and made millions. Like they, you know, that's the exact company that would like would buy something like this and know exactly what Adam Green was trying to do. He was he was ahead of his time. He was, you know, at a time when like literally everything coming out of the horror community was remakes are from Japan. The, the early 2000s, it was, that's all it was. God, that sucks. Yep. <laughs> and, but I mean, like I said, he dug in 
And he was like, no, I want to make this movie. And he went for it. So, you know. Hell yeah. And what he does do with the horror is fucking crazy. I've, there are makeup effects. There's gore in this movie I've never seen before. I mean, the where he like when Victor Crowley rips the woman's head open, jaw like through jaw first, I audibly went, "What the fuck?" I had never seen yeah. that before, and I was, I, you know, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> not only that, like he he stressed about practical effects, doing everything in camera, like everything coordinated, like he had everything about this movie, like planned out in his head he had been wanting to make this movie for so long he had everything in his head ready to go and like you you watch i watched the making of because i'm a dork and i wanted to find out about this shit like that whole setup is just like camera tricks to get to the point where it starts out with the real actress and kane hotter and then by the time the camera spins now the tricks in play and whap whap yeah, it's so fucking bananas. The fact that you had this movie start with a guy getting his spine ripped out and then you've got this lady getting her fucking head open to where she looks like a South Park Canadian. You're just like, God damn it. Like this movie is just, it's relentless, but you're cheering for this shit. You're not going like, oh, you're like, yes, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And you can only do that if you set the tone right away that this movie is going to be outrageous. You, you know that. You know that. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely, you know, this is not like hereditary. This is not edge of your seat nightmares. This is, you know, over the top gore that you just can't help but cackle at. And those are those are the those are so much fun to watch those kinds of movies. And there's only like some people just don't get it. And I love watching horror, like those kinds of films with people who don't get it because they're so fucking horrified. And then they look at you and you're laughing and they become even more horrified and they don't really know what to do. And you're just laughing because they don't know what to do. It's a whole like endless cycle of just like outrageous shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I fully enjoy watching movies like this with people who are too stuffy and can't have fun and take themselves too seriously and their art too seriously. I'm just like, no, 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 no. Um, a movie I always watch during Halloween is The Abominable Dr. Fives. Oh, yeah. Because I love Vincent Price so much, and that movie is, even though it's played up very straight because of a lot of the British actors you have in it, like Vincent Price is hamming it up throughout the entire thing, the whole premise of the movie is ridiculous and i think if that movie was remade today you would have to you would have to find somebody who can toe that line between madness and comedy and that's where this movie is it's mad as fuck but it is funny as hell too i love that we have a place on this podcast to talk about like really serious frightening horror movies like the brood and the witch, but then also get to just laugh our asses off at Hatchet. <laughs> I love that we don't have a specific zone. We just do whatever the fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, but I don't think you can because horror is, is such a huge umbrella. And there are so many, there, there's so many stops along the spectrum 
that you know you can be serious and you can use it as allegory like Cronenberg and Romero but you can also go on the other end of it and be Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell Evil Dead style and you know still satisfy both ends you know you can be weird and arty like Argento um, and Fulci which is uh, Fulci especially like if you've never watched anything by him it's it's really it's really hard to describe his movies because they're they're not very conventional in their storytelling there there's really like the plots are very bare it's really just an exercise in like it's almost like stream of consciousness like gore set piece to gore set piece to gore set piece with like this bitchin ass music and it's, it's it's a total experience and it's unlike anything you would see but it the the fact that like italy was doing the that those kinds of things is brilliant and it like it just it it's another you know another color in the rainbow of horror movies well and also we get to explore different cultures versions of horror like one of my favorite episodes we've done so far was the back-to-back we did on audition and itchy the killer because that really got to, I got to zoom into Japanese horror and just see like how fucked up are they and how specifically Takashi Miike. And it was really fun to explore that culture for a bit and see, you know, because Audition had been on my like no list for years because I was terrified that it was going to fuck me up. And I watched it and I was like, this, is, this isn't bad. I must be really desensitized. <laughs> I was actually more surprised at that. Like I've seen so much shit. This isn't even bothering me. No, no, well, I mean, audition is such a sucker punch, though. Like it, it lures you in, you know, thinking it's one thing, and then by the end of it, you're like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" If you think that movie really had you going, go to. Yeah, get that's what I've heard. That's that's a big one. <laughs> My dad's a big um, Mike fan, so he's given me a lot of recommendations. And that was right, like that was one of them. Uh, Rainy Dog was another. He's got a yeah. I've got a lot of homework to do with Mika. <laughs> yeah, Bird People in China is a complete departure. Um, that's almost like a fairy tale movie. Happiness of the Category musical and mixes like different styles of filmmaking. Um, it Mika is a fucking madman. I love him so much. Killer. He's what I've seen so far. I've really enjoyed. Um. So what is your favorite, if you had to pick one, what is your favorite moment from Hatchet? Um, I don't like, there, like there's so many little, little moments that are like, really, like the, the humor is really gets me in this movie, especially. Um, I would probably have to say like the, my favorite moment is probably the old lady getting her, getting her head ripped in half like that that moment for me it's just like i found my movie (laughs) i love this movie um because like if you try to like really think about this movie like the whole concept behind victor crowley and who he is and why he's doing what he's doing and it's just like yeah i've been here before whatever yeah um and it's it's just kind of there to like set him and kind of make him real um also, I think one of my favorite cameos in this is John Carl Buechler, who special effects artist, 
helped to do the special effects for Hatchet along with Robert Pendergraft. And he also directed Kane Hodder in Friday 7. So there's another connection. Um, and his little cameo as Jack Cracker is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Because you're just Jack sitting Cracker. there. Like, yeah, yeah. He's yelling at him, don't go in here. He's like, oh, who is that? Just old Jack Cracker. He's a piss-drinking gator poacher. <laughs> and he's just fucking passed by him. He's like, you're all going to die. And he's fucking drinking his own piss. Oh, oh, yeah, so good. And that joke gets carried over into the beginning of Hatchet 2. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so fucking, God damn it. Like that, that part is really funny to me. It's so good. But like, that's where this movie really shines, especially like some people would probably think it's overkill um, with the amount of like cameos and like all these other nods to, you know, it's like, oh, there's, you know, like the whole tangent I just went on about John Carl Buechler and his connection to Kane Hodder and all this other stuff. But like, it, it works. Like everybody there is there for the, you know, in service of this story and making it work. Yeah, um, it, yeah definitely like uh, <laughs> that lady getting her head peeled is just, it's great. Just a giant exclamation point on this movie. It's so fucking effortless. He's just like, like he's opening a box. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole Jack Cracker thing. I think what really made that funny, like, like the best thing about that is that the guy telling the story of Jack Cracker, you already have a, an idea that this guy, this guy's full of shit about everything. So you think like, oh, he's just lying. So he doesn't get caught. You think this guy might be a cop, but then he goes by and he's just drinking his piss. I, I love it. It was all, it was all true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually telling the truth about that. Um, I don't know if you noticed this either, and this is another running gag in a, in a franchise of running gags. Adam Green is in the original lineup of buddies as they're walking. <laughs> um, and he is in the beginning of Hatchet 2. You find out what happened to him because he's literally passed out on the street <laughs> in the beginning of Hatchet 2. It was just like the steady stream of Adam Green being in his movie you know, doing his best Hitchcock impression <laughs> cameo and in his own movies. That's awesome. Um, my favorite moment in Hatchet is probably Tony Todd's cameo as Reverend Zombie. Because <laughs> the way that, that the way that's played is so smart and it's so hilarious and you never fucking see him again in the movie. It's like the buildup of, you know, oh, some mysterious thing happened. Oh, a lot of people died. What happened, Reverend Zombie? And he's like, well, this kid... His, his leg was dangling off the side and he sued me for negligence. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. It's, and it's just funny because like he goes from having this shitty fucking Caribbean accent to just like by the end of it, he breaks it completely. You know? And then when they're getting ready to leave, it's like, don't walk on the sidewalk. You're just like, like he can't, he can't like he can't let it go. He's got to stay in character. And yeah, like by the second one, he really takes, he really takes a good role in, in Hatchet 2. Um, totally like, you know, peels off the character and, you know, now he's just, you know, this, this dude who grew up in the area. It's really good. It's really good. I like just marathon the first three. You'll be good to go. It's good. It's a good time. 
Cool, cool, cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Once I have some time and the way we're going to be doing the episodes from here on in, I am going to have like random pockets of me time. So I'll be able to watch the Hatchet series then. <laughs> um, here are some film guys and facts for Hatchet. Number one, we already uh, brought this up. Writer, director Adam Green created a no CGI rule for post-production. Only CGI was used to remove on-screen wires and camera setups, but he did go all out with practical effects. And it really does show. I mean, his practical effects are off the fucking charts. Really well done. Uh, number two, the t-shirt with the odd-looking smiley face on it is the logo for Newbury Comics, a New England chain that sells CDs, DVDs, and comic books. Adam Green grew up in Massachusetts and would buy his horror movies and action figures from there. So he included their logo on, on I think it's Ben's shirt. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It pops up in the, in the subsequent movies, too. It never goes away that's awesome i love you know throwing some love to your local horror movie store that's pretty badass oh yeah and uh number three if you watch the first three hatchet movies in a row without opening and end credits it would be one uninterrupted storyline revolving around a few days awesome sam raimi did the same thing with evil dead <laughs> yep so cool um so let's talk about the ha- the sequels a bit um there are three sequels first up is 2010's hatchet 2 which sees Mary Beth escape Victor Crowley's clutches and return to his swamp with an army of hunters looking to kill him for good. So you've seen all of them. So how does Hatchet 2 stack up? Uh, I mean, I like it. It's a, um, it's kind of like a, uh, a tonally like different movie. It's kind of got a little bit more of an action slant in it um, because the whole posse that comes in there, you know, it's just all a bunch of dudes with guns, but it doesn't lose the, it doesn't lose the charm of, you know, the, the movies as you come to know them. There's still bananas gore in it. There's one scene that when you see it, you'll probably know which one I'm talking about. It always has me laughing whenever I see it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You just got to watch it um, and then get back to me. Um, and I mean, there's cameos galore in that one as well. Um, there's uh, Lloyd Kaufman shows up at one point um to making jokes about that um god what was i think when they were doing um some kind of live stream or something um they were watching the hatchet movies and i made a comment um to uh joe lynch who had worked with lloyd on a couple trauma movies and I was like, Lloyd showed up for the cookies, didn't he? It's like, well, yeah, of course he did. Like, <laughs> Lloyd will always show up if you offer him free food. Um, so, yeah, he was in that. Um, you know, Tony Todd's in there. Um, R.A. Miloff, who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw 3, I think. Um, he is in there. He plays one of the uh, the mercenary dudes. Um, yeah, it's fun. That movie, I think... Uh, yeah, I think Zach Galligan is uh, in Hatchet 2. He plays the sheriff. Um, fucking Sid Haig, I think, is in uh, Hatchet 2. Um, and Caroline Williams is also in their stretch from Chainsaw 2. She's in it. Um, yeah, and like it kind of further expands on the backstory of, you know, Thomas Crowley, Victor's dad, and like the whole circumstances that were just barely hinted at in the first one, which Kane Otter actually, like he does some 
acting in there is pretty good. Hmm. Um, you know, gets his gets his chance to shine a little bit. Um, you find out a little bit more about you know why this is still persisting after the first movie because you think you're supposed to be fucking dead. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <clears throat> um, third one, which is actually not directed by Adam Green, it's directed by. Um, a guy who was a camera operator. His name is escaping me right now. Um, but he directed the third one because I think Adam Green was doing something else at the time and he couldn't direct it. But he was you know, still trying to be in, as involved as possible. Yeah. Um, and that one is really just far out there. It just keeps going. Um, and there's like this little running thread in there where Perry Shen went from being the uh, the brothers in the first two to by the third one, he's playing a paramedic who is like the only survivor at the end of part three. OJ style gets framed and has the rest of his life in between Hatchet 3 and Victor Crowley <laughs> to essentially be framed for a murder he didn't commit. He was known as this savage serial killer, but they never had any evidence to convict him and blah, 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 blah. That's where the book comes in. Um, Victor Crowley, the fascinating thing about this is Adam Green made it in secret. Nobody knew about it. And he, I don't remember where he was. He showed up to under the guise of a 10th anniversary screening of Hatchet. And oh, wow. he surprised the audience with a brand new hatchet. Everybody was blown away by it. Victor Crowley is crazy, just crazy. And it's got, you know, um, Adam Green and Joe Lynch make cameos as the pilots of a plane um, in there. They're, they're funny. Um, Felissa Rose, uh, Angela from Sleepaway Camp, she's in it. Uh, Tiffany Shepis, who's been in... 5,000 horror movies. She's in there. Um, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers, who is uh, kind of like a friend of Adam Green's. He's in it. Ah. And like it, so good. So good. The fact that like you could figure out another way to like keep this story going and make it fun and to <clears throat> still do something he literally shot parts of this where he has his production company like his whole studio at where his offices are he had sets built and shot right there like he 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 doesn't make these movies to make money he said it before you know he makes these because he loves them he knows the fans love them and you know that uh that i was totally blown away when that came out um watched it loved it Obviously, I, I mean, I, I own it. You know, I bought it straight from Adam Green because I wanted to give my money straight to this guy who was given so much. Um, Frozen is a movie that kind of shows he can work restrained. He is a guy that knows what he wants. Um, he went, he he went for it with that, and it's this movie that people regard as like the savage, brutal movie, but there's literally like, it's, if you watch that and you're like, the guy that made Hatchet made this? There's no fucking way. But he did. Totally did. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he's got some range. He can, he could do a lot of other things. Um, I definitely encourage you to watch the short movies that he does, uh, on, check out, he's got a YouTube channel for Aeroscope. Check it out. All the Halloween shorts are up there. Um, Holliston, if you've never seen that, it's on Shutter. Watch it. Fucking funny. Because originally, when he was coming out to LA, he had a movie that he made literally for $400. And he made that while he was working at, uh, he was working for Time Warner. And he and Will Barrett, who worked with him at Time Warner, they shot this movie. And, you know, they used a lot of music, which is why he can't release it. He used a lot of music that he didn't have the rights to, so he couldn't release it. Um, it's called Coffee and Donuts. And it is what Holliston ended up being. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, like that show, loads of cameos from people in the horror industry, lots of jokes. Um, D. Snyder plays a character in there. Uh, and D. Snyder is fucking hilarious in that show. Um, they got two seasons made on Fearnet before it went under, and Shudder picked it up to stream it. And I'm hoping that people binge the shit out of it, and Shudder will put out a third season. He already has the third season written, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. I mean, I I still watch shows. That I still watch it uh, to watch Dave Brocky. I'm a huge Guar fan, like I said before, and to see him um, to be there and like have have a chance to like actually be on a TV show and stuff, uh, it's really awesome. And the fact that like Adam Green was a huge fan of Dave's and they became friends, like it's just this, all these weird little circles that started forming. And he's he's a really cool guy. Uh, I really like Adam Green. I I admire that guy a lot. And uh, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably cry if I saw him or something. Well, after learning about him and like everything that went into this film and everything he does for the franchise and for his fans, yeah, I definitely like much much respect to Adam Green. He's I'm I'm definitely gonna look up the rest of his stuff. He's a guy I'd like to see all of his work for sure. Yeah, um, one I didn't even mention, uh, Dicking Up the Marrow. He did. It's like a found footage movie. And it's all about monsters. And he uh, he worked with an artist, Alex Party, who his art is like some of the most beautiful, but like at the same time, like nightmare fuel. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. And it was like essentially kind of like Adam Green doing a found footage movie with bits of Nightbreed in there. Ray Wise is in it. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. You got to watch that too. Killer, more fuel for the book. Absolutely, wonderful. Uh, I give Hatchet an eight. It was way better than I expected. Had me laughing my ass off, and the gore effects were top notch. Yeah, it's a solid, solid flick. Yeah, I think I gave it an eight originally, and the more I talk about it, and the more I think about it, I. I could probably say that I probably would add it to my growing list of, of tens um, just because it's so fun. 
I never get tired watching it. It's always something that if I, if I know somebody hasn't seen it and I've just met them, I'm like, you hadn't seen that. No, we're watching. I don't care what the hell you're doing. We're watching that right now. Like, it's just one of those movies that like you have to share with somebody because if they love slasher movies, I, I don't see how somebody can't not love it. Like maybe, maybe I can understand Austin, maybe not loving it only because I know like kind of where he lies, but the fact that he was even speaking about how much he loved it, like that just to me further proves just how great this movie is. Oh yeah. It's, it's one that any horror fan worth of salt will find something to like about. And uh, yeah, I can see this, you know, 20, 30 years from now, definitely being listed among, you know, early to early uh, 21st century classics. Killer. That was fun. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Josh. This was a good one. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I'm fucking happy to be here. I talk about shit like this all day long. You just tell me when and where, man. <laughs> Next week. Austin is returning for a special tribute episode to Sir Sean Connery, who passed away in his sleep on Halloween at the age of 90. In his memory, we will be discussing the original 1962 spy thriller classic, Dr. No, the film that started the James Bond franchise and gave Sean Connery a career that made him one of the most respected talents in Hollywood for decades. It's going to be a bittersweet episode, but we'll definitely dig into his side of the 007 legacy and some of his other movies that we adore. So look forward to that next week on the Filmgasm podcast. Don't miss that or our uh, Aaron Sorkin extravaganza on Oscar Sunday. And remember, if you know what's good for you, stay the hell out of Victor Crowley's swamp. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Mm -hmm.